This is Canvas, a show all about iPad productivity. My name is Fraser Spears, and I'm joined as always by Federico Vitici. Hello, Fraser. How are you? Hey, I'm great. It's two days till the end of term, uh, three days to France, so not complaining mm. at all. Mm. You always have a busy schedule. <laughs> certainly do. Certainly do. You see, the thing with being a teacher, right, is that it's so much work planning all the holidays, you know? You get one holiday mm. done, another one's just about coming. Uh, it's a lot of work keeping all those holidays straight, so yeah. Yeah, set. but the good news is the summer is getting closer and closer, which Absolutely. for you, I guess, is good news. For me, not so much, because <laughs> it means I got to be three months in lockdown just Yay, writing. Uh, time. But yeah, you know, at least we get we get our different breaks during the year. Yeah, um, Fraser, it's been, a, yep. it's been a busy week for Apple. Mm-hmm. It certainly has. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, uh, and these are all the right out of the, right out of the mothership. These are all uh, new things to talk about this week. We've got... Uh, a whole bit about Keynote this week. We're going to do a big update on Keynote, and we're going to talk a little bit about the new iPad as well. We tend not to really talk about hardware here, uh, but I think maybe as, I suppose it's been a while since we've had new devices to talk about, <laughs> but uh, as yeah. uh, we should probably do a show at one point just about how to choose an iPad. I mean, that's something that uh, people I'm sure would help people at some point. Um, but we'll talk a little bit about the iPad as well. And I was saying to you just before we came on air, Federico, that uh, I think the only the podcasts that I'm on this week are saying nice things about the new iPad. But from where I'm coming from, from the education world, uh, people are going crazy for this new iPad. It is mm. a smash hit in that department. So we'll talk a little bit about that as well. All right. I want to start with iWork, if that's okay with you. Absolutely. And I want to start with pages, which is, I feel like it's the app that I know the most, even if I don't use it much. Mm-hmm. Um, so all of the iWork apps, both on iOS and the Mac, have been updated to version 3.1. Uh, this is one of the benefits of Apple, sort of unifying all of the iWork apps under, uh, you know, the same versioning number and the same, mostly the same feature sets. Mm-hmm. Uh, and on, on iOS, pages 3.1, uh, it's got a bunch of really nice changes. Um, there's support for uh, superscript and subscript text, uh, which I guess it's um, it's gonna make the scientific users really happy, and this is sort of mm-hmm. the th- the theme of a lot of the features in in, in iWork 3.1 for scientific users and for uh, you know people in science departments. Uh, superscript and subscript, I think it's a it's a good change, right? Yeah, it's definitely something that you know people sort of expect from their word processor, and it's been it's been kind of missing on iOS for quite a long time, um, at least in in the Apple products as well. So yeah, the science teachers in school are very very happy with this. We can now start writing uh, a lot of our uh, papers and things in Pages rather than maybe going to even Google Docs supports that, mm-hmm. um, but Pages hasn't up to now, and now it does. So a little bit high. And this goes well. This goes well with the new support for LaTeX and MathML, the notational systems yeah. um, that allow you. My understanding now, I'm not an expert about these two syntaxes, but they're like Markdown for scientific stuff. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I think they let you write equations and other yep. other mathematical formulas. Yeah, I, I mean the, the the sort of fundamental problem is that it's always been complicated to write, you know, really elaborate mathematical yeah. formulas in a word processor. Uh, and re- usually what happens is that applications, even up like Word and so on, they have an equation editor, which is kind of an out-of-band uh, editor for equations, and then you sort of make it up that way, and then you sort of shove it into your document. And Pages is really no exception to that. That's roughly what happens here as well. Uh, you, It's in the insert menu, so the little kind of 
paragraph symbol that's above the keyboard in iOS. You hit that and you can insert page breaks and all kinds of stuff in there, but you can also now insert an equation. This brings up you into a new editor. And here, you either type in by hand or you paste in from another app, which I'll talk about in a second, uh, either LaTeX code or MathML code. Now, MathML is basically an XML grammar that it describes okay. uh, it describes equations. So you you wouldn't really write it by hand. You typically want to use a generator app for MathML. Um, but LaTeX is is an older standard. Um, but LaTeX is very commonly used in the scientific world for writing papers that involve a lot of mathematics or equations and so on. Uh, I used to use it in my days as a graduate student in computer science, and it's. Um, it's very powerful, but quite obscure. So it's kind of like, if you imagine uh, writing RTF commands by hand, it's sort of like that, uh, which is mm. something that humans wouldn't normally do. So <laughs> no. uh, so to help people, right, there is an app called MyScript MathPad, which really takes, uh, these, takes these languages and it makes them very iOS-like. So what the MyScript stuff can do, they have a, a calculator called MyScript Calculator where you can... Uh, write equations with your finger and it recognizes them and, and then calculates the answer for you, which is phenomenal. Uh, and this application they have mm. called MyScript MathPad, what you do is you write the equation with your finger, and you square root signs and squares and powers and all that stuff. And then it recognizes that using the same engine as, as the calculator does. But instead of working out the answer, what it does is it generates either the LaTeX code or the MathML code and you can copy it to the clipboard and then paste it into pages. So oh, nice. uh, that's a really, really nice workflow to be able to do that. Um, and it's uh, way, way easier than trying to learn either of those grammars by yeah. yourself. Uh, I mean, there are certainly people who can write LaTeX code by hand uh, if, if you're into that kind of thing. But if you're new to the whole thing, probably the easiest thing to do is to get MyScript MathPad and then just copy and paste the source code into pages. And oh, very, That's very nice. Yeah, uh, I, I, wish I, I wish I knew... I wish I knew this stuff <laughs> just to <laughs> just to try it out. Yeah, uh, but I've always been terrible at uh, mathematics. So well, well MyScript uh, MathPad has got a, a fairly straightforward uh, demo you can get. There's an in-app purchase to actually unlock the copy and paste feature, which is cleverly done. Mm. Um, but what happens when when you enter these things and you finish with the editor is that Pages will insert a little inline, essentially a small vector image inline uh, with the equation. And you can then do things like you can cut and paste it and stuff as well. Uh, but that's that's roughly how that works. And it's not dissimilar to features that have been on desktop board processors for a while, but it's just it's nice to see that kind of power come into iOS as well. Nice. So aside from these scientific-focused features, uh, there are some other nice changes in Pages 3.1. Uh, you can uh, protect your documents with Touch ID, and the entire system to create password-protected documents is similar to the existing system in Apple Notes. Mm -hmm. So you can uh, you need to assign a password uh, by default to a document that you want to protect. Uh, and optionally, you can also enable Touch ID. And this is done from the More button in the top right of the document. It's the three-dot button. Mm -hmm. And from there, you can choose Set Password. And then uh, you can enter a password. You can provide a hint in case you forget the password in the future. And then there's a toggle to enable Touch ID. Uh, so again, if you're familiar with Apple Notes, this is the same system really. And I assume that you know uh, password protected documents cannot be shared like in Apple Notes because Apple doesn't have that kind of system where you can protect a document with a password and then share it with iCloud. But mm -hmm. still, if you have personal private documents, it's a nice way to protect them and make sure that only you can access those documents. The big news for a lot of people, especially those with that have been requesting better uh, cross-platform support on iOS, is that you can now 
import and export uh, RTF, so rich text format documents. Um, this is uh, for, for users who switch between Windows and uh, other operating systems and want to, pref to preserve the formatting in their text documents without having to export to the Word format. Uh, this is a big deal. The, the underlying problem, I think, is that the entire uh, rich text framework on iOS at a very basic level still kind of hit and miss. Uh, for example, I did some tests with this new RTF support in Pages, and I tried to pass one of these Pages documents exported to RTF to a workflow. And of all the formatting that I applied in the document, so I had a bunch of italics, a bunch of bold sentences, and a hyperlink to a web page. Uh, only the uh, the hyperlink actually got converted from rich text to markdown. I ch I tested by basically taking the the RTF file from pages and then doing uh, convert rich text to markdown, and only the link got converted successfully. All of the formatting from the rich text uh, got lost in the process. So I don't know if it's a problem with workflow. I don't know if it's a problem with the way the pages uh, generates these files, but I, I also try to send one of these RTF uh, documents from pages to Apple Notes and to Apple Mail, and sure enough, uh, the formatting was perfect in those apps. So I think that Apple needs to uh, unify the rich text framework on iOS, which a lot of apps really don't get right, and there's a lot of inconsistency. And also, I think the workflow uh, needs to be updated uh, for uh, these new RTF features in, in Pages. Um, well, I mean, if only the workflow team had access to Apple's APIs, I mean, that's... Right, uh, <laughs> right. That, that'd be, that, could... that, that's the dream, right? <laughs> um, yeah. You can now replace missing fonts on a, on a, in a document. Mm -hmm. And of course, this is, is based on the, the limited choice of fonts that you have on iOS. But I've been using this app for a, the past couple of years. It's called AnyFont. And AnyFont does something that I'm not sure if Apple is okay with it. I'm a, I assume they are because the app has been around a long time. But you, this app lets you bring custom fonts to iOS. So for example, my favorite font uh, to edit my stories for the website. It's Nitty. And the Nitty font family, it, it's a typeface that I actually bought from, from the vendor. Uh, it's a monospace font that is not available uh, on iOS by default. But with any font, basically you send the font uh, with a zip file, for example, to the app, and the app generates a profile uh, that is installed in the iOS settings. So that profile uh, mm -hmm. makes the font available in any native uh, font picker interface on iOS. So those fonts that you install with any font, you can now use them in iWork. Uh, for example, yeah. you can use them in Pages, yeah. you can use them in Keynote, and any other uh, app with the, with the native font picker UI. Yeah, that's not a hack or a worker, and that's a fully, that is the supported way of installing custom fonts on iOS, is to uh, wrap them up into a configuration profile and deliver them either by email or from an MDM server or something like that. So uh, that that is absolutely expected to work and, and does work very well. Uh, I, I suppose my, my gripe with the, the iWork implementation of all of this is the only thing it lets you replace your missing fonts with is Helvetica. So in, in previous generations, what you would get is it would say, these fonts are missing, uh, your document might look different. 
And now what it says is, these fonts are missing, your document might look different. Would you like to turn them all into Helvetica? Yes or no? <laughs> <laughs> so it's, I mean, it, it, I suppose what it does is it stops you from getting that that warning message literally every time you open that document. Because uh, I've got some keynote files that have been sent from other people and they had custom fonts, they edited it on the Mac or whatever. Um, and now, like from up to now, every time I open that keynote, I have to dismiss that dialogue. Now I can at least make that go away and turn them all into Helvetica, even hmm. though it might break the design of the slides or whatever but that's the choice you got, I suppose. There's also support for uh, regional formats in currencies and dates, mm -hmm. but I have to say I haven't been able to try this because even if I live in Italy, I keep my devices set to uh, American English with mm -hmm. an American region format just because I need to access all of the features that Apple uh, reserves for American users, such yeah. as Apple News. Mm -hmm. uh, so I really haven't tried to change yeah. my region format. <laughs> I, had, I had a little play with it, and, and basically what it is is that on a per document basis, you can change uh, the formats and currencies. So if you're, uh, you can go into one, it's the settings menu, I think, um, in the, in each document, and you can say this document is US or UK or Italy or France or whatever, um, and it'll change the dates and times and formats and stuff like that. But it's just overriding the system uh, mm -hmm. region settings at the document oh, level. Well. So nice. It's decent. Yep. If you need that stuff. So there are still, there are still some some things that I don't fundamentally understand about Pages. Um, I really like the app. I like the interface. I like the approach that Apple is taking with the three pane layout on on the on the iPad Pro. And I want to use Pages, but I, I don't think its 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 approach as the, as a word processor is what works with me. Mm -hmm. um, for example, you c to, to my knowledge, you cannot break documents into multiple sections. You can create bookmarks to a specific point of a document, and now you can do that on iOS as well. Uh, but it's not like Scrivener, for example, that lets you split up a, a master document into multiple chapters or sections, whatever mm -hmm. you may want to call them. Yep. And also, you cannot create a table of contents, for example. Unless there's a shortcut that I haven't seen, uh, you cannot add multiple headings to a document and then say, I want to capture all of these headings because those are sections and I want you to create a table of contents for me. I don't think that's possible. Yeah, as far as, far as I know, mm. that's not possible in iOS. Um, but you can sort of see a number of these features, the groundwork being laid for some of these features, like the, you mentioned the, the bookmark features now come to iOS and you can see maybe some of that document structure stuff starting to come through. So maybe, maybe in time that will come. I mean, for me, uh, pages is very much a, a kind of it, it's a basic word processor and quite a good page layout application um, and your know, word in iOS is quite good in that way as well um, but it's not it's not like a long form mm -hmm. writing application in the way that Scrivener or Ulysses is I mean I, I use Ulysses a lot for the longer things I write blog posts or whatever um, but Pages, we use it in school all the time. It's like a, it's our primary word processor at school for the kids to use. Um, and it's nice and easy to use. They, they can do a lot of things with it. Um, and everything's fairly obvious how to do it. But when we get to some of the higher exam levels where kids have got to use more and more and more advanced features, uh, we have to switch over to Word for a number of those features. Uh, so things like table of contents, like sections with rotated pages, some of the powerful things you can do in Word um, are just not possible in pages at the moment. But it, it's a very traditional kind of word processor idea. It's one document, 
optimized for printing out on pieces of yeah. paper. Okay. Right? You know, that's the yeah. thing about word processing is it, all of those things are from the days when the ultimate aim of your writing on the computer was to print it out on a piece of paper. And you're basically dealing with virtual sheets of paper on the screen. Word is very similar in that respect. Whereas, you know, people like you and I have moved on to apps like Scrivener yeah. and Ulysses where the ultimate goal of the text is actually something electronic. Um, it's not, um, it's never going yeah. to be on paper. I mean, can you imagine printing my markdown yeah reviews to paper <laughs> so much waste <laughs> yeah there isn't enough paper. so talk to me and tell me about keynote because I, once again every time we talk about keynote i'm like i don't understand keynote i never use keynote tell me about <laughs> it tell me what's new because those changes actually seem pretty pretty interesting to me yeah, um, Keynote is, you know, Apple's version of PowerPoint, if you like, and, and has been since, you know, Steve Jobs introduced it all those years ago as, as a Mac application. And it's it's very much a, a, a full stack um, presentation tool on iOS. So if you want slides, you want pictures, whatever for your talk, uh, you can put it together in Keynote. And, and over the years, I've been using Keynote since it was 1.01 iPad and really trying to use it that hard. Um, and in the early days, going between Keynote on the Mac and Keynote on iOS is very, very difficult. But in the post-iCloud world and in the post-iWork-Rewrite world, it's become a lot easier, even as I've now kind of moved over completely to just working with Keynote on iOS all the time. I, I never use Keynote on the Mac anymore. Um, and it's relatively straightforward to build things on Keynote. It's not as powerful as any desktop presentation tool, but I would sort of argue that if you're using those features, you're probably making a pretty horrible presentation because um, uh, Keynote has got the basics of what everybody needs to make a presentation. It doesn't have the, some of the more absolutely esoteric features. And there are certainly features that I want Keynote to have that it doesn't have yet, but you can, again, you can see some of the groundwork coming for some of that stuff. So some of the things that are new in Keynote 3.1 um, you can change the master slide, okay? So whenever you make a presentation on Keynote, um, each theme that you choose has got a number of different types of slide. So one might be a, a, just a full screen picture. One might be a, a quote with a, an attribution below it uh, or a title slide or a slide with a picture and bullet points beside it, different things like that. And up to now, what's been true is that once you choose your, your slide design, you can't change it. So if, you've, made, if you've chosen a quote, slide, uh, you can't change it to any different kind of slide. But now with Keynote 3.1, you can go back and you can choose a different kind of master slide again. So you can take something that was a title slide and turn it into a title and bullet slide without having to retype all the stuff. It'll just figure out where those elements were, move them to the place in, in the other kind of master slide. Now, this is important to understand because in if you're used to apps like PowerPoint, what you can do in PowerPoint is you can edit a master slide and you can add new things to it. So say like you had a normal uh, design slide in PowerPoint, you could edit the master slide and maybe put your logo on it. And then every slide that was made from that master slide would then get that logo. Okay, this isn't that. This is just changing the pre-made master slide that you first chose when you made the slide in Keynote. So it's a little bit more limited, but uh, it's still something that people have wanted for a while. Uh, what else can you do? You can customize the slide background. That's quite a nice feature. And you can now add a slide number to any slide. So some sometimes mm. people want slide numbers on the presentation if, if you're trying to reference it with a handout or something like that. Um, there's a thing that you can do now, which is called uh, embedding interactive presentations on websites. Now, I wasn't really that sure... Um, 
how to do this. It's not really obvious how to do it at all, but there is a, a new website that's come out which can help you produce the embed code. So it's a sort of iEmbed frame that you put inside a website. Um, but I believe how it works is you basically upload your keynote to iCloud and it's served out of iCloud and then loaded in a frame. So we'll put some links into the show notes for that website. I can't remember the name of it off the top of my head, but it's a, a one that if you sort of paste in the URL of your iCloud presentation, it'll generate all the code for you to put on a website so that you can embed it. So that's, that's quite a nice thing and uh, it'll be interesting to see just how well that works. Yeah, it's interesting that now Apple is allowing well, is allowing yeah. uh, websites to um, to receive and embed iCloud documents. I wonder if maybe in the future there will be a way to mm-hmm. uh, sort of collaborate, for example, on a Pages document that you can also embed somewhere else on the web, as a you know as a it'd be, be kind of cool to, to have as a reference, for yeah. example, in an article to to embed a document mm-hmm. where multiple people have collaborated previously. That'd be nice. Yeah. Yeah, uh, this is kind of an extension of of the feature that came out with Keynote three, which was um, uh, it's called Keynote Live, right? Where you can uh, you can sort of upload a keynote to iCloud and then you can send the link to people, and whether they're on a browser or whether they're on Keynote on Mac or iOS, they can actually watch your presentation live on their devices. And it seems like this is kind of that, except hmm. it's not live, right? So the, the viewer can click through it themselves. And so it seems to be based on similar technology. And then, because uh, with Keynote Live, you had to kind of start and drive the presentation. Whereas with this, it seems like the presentation can just be there and people can come along to websites where that's embedded and then they can just click through it for themselves. So I read that it's also possible now to rehearse a presentation inside of the Keynote app itself without having to connect to um, to an external monitor or to an Apple TV. Yeah, so Keynote has has this idea of a presenter display, which all of these apps have got, which is that when you're presenting on a projector, your audience sees your slide and you see a, a clock, a little thing of your slide, and you see some mm-hmm. presenter notes as well. And like our kids, when they're learning how to present in school, one of the things that they're sort of dependent on as they start off is the presenter notes because, you know, their memory is not that well developed and so on. And they can't remember all the things they're going to say because the adrenaline is rushing through them and they can't, everything goes a bit crazy when they first present. So that presenter notes view is a very important thing for kids to get to know. But up to now, what they had to do is get a shot on the projector when nobody was looking even to see that display. Because when you press play on Keynote, it just showed you the slides on the screen. So now what you can do is you can say play or rehearse. And rehearse just shows you that it shows you on the iPad display. It shows you the presenter display and doesn't show you the slides anywhere. So that'll give kids uh, the ability to kind of rehearse with the display that they will see when they are giving the presentation. Because what we found was that people would practice their slides at home and they were good at what they were going to say, but they didn't actually know how to control the presenter display because they never saw it until they got on the projector. So that's going to be a really nice enhancement for school. The kids will be able to practice with that before they get to the point where they're doing nice. the Yeah, I think I'm going to use this because it sounds very useful. I'm, uh, you know, I need to learn Keynote eventually. So yeah. the addition of this sort of mm-hmm. rehearsal mode inside of the app sounds very convenient. So that's nice. Yeah. Yeah, no, it's, it's really, really useful. Uh, I was just going to mention, Federico, as well, that you, the, the equation editor we just talked about in Pages is not built into Keynote, which is kind of a surprise, I think. Uh, but you can copy and paste the equations from Pages with the benefit that they are made up of vector graphics, so they scale up beautifully oh, nice. to keynote size uh, images. 
On the other hand, they can't be edited for color, so you can't make them blend in with your presentation. You can only have black text on white, so you're going to have to cope with the aesthetics of that, but it's it's a workaround for now, I think, and I can see some enhancements will probably come uh, for that in the future. So yeah, Keynote is definitely one of those kind of premier apps on iOS. It's one that I use a lot. It's one of the few apps that lives on my home screen on the iPad. Uh, use it a lot in school for different things, use it in different situations, particularly when I uh, go out of school and talk to other schools about the kind of stuff we've done with iPad, uh, a lot of presenting and all of it. All the stuff I've done for the last two or three years, I would say, has all been made on iPad and delivered mm. on iPad. So it always felt kind of weird to me, like going and talking about how great the iPad is for school, and then you pull out a MacBook and start presenting from it. So I felt uh, quite early on that I had to I had to walk the walk as well and, and present from the iPad just to show people uh, that what I was talking about yeah, was Yeah, and it seems like so. Keynote itself has come a long way. Um, it's always been it's always mm-hmm. been interesting to me. Again, I, I don't know the app. I don't use the app. But I've, I've always been so fascinated by what people can do with Keynote. Uh, I, I see, you know, the, there's people who use Keynote for concept designs, uh, using the, all of the mm-hmm. design tools in, in the app instead of using just for traditional presentations. There's people who do mock-ups in Keynote. Yeah. So <laughs> that's super fascinating to me. Yeah, we, we sometimes do a, a, a little sort of project in school where we have the kids make, uh, if you imagine like an interactive kiosk uh-huh. for a museum, where they have to choose a topic and they, they make a keynote deck, but instead of make it being for presentation, it's for people to come up and tap on the screen because what you can do is you can make any shape in keynote oh. be a hyperlink and the hyperlink jumps you from one slide to another. Uh, so you can make you know, like four buttons across the bottom and those buttons jump you into different slides and so on. And we, I had one student um, this year, I think, or maybe last year, where he, he used a 3D modeling tool to build a house and then he took screenshots of all the views in the house and he basically made like a Google Street View thing in Keynote where he would just, he did all these arrows and the arrows jumped you to the next the next room and the next room and you could move about this house just inside oh, Keynote. Man. It was, it That's was really, genius. really cool. Yeah. I gotta come study yeah. at your school. Yeah. That's... He, he was 11, <laughs> <Yeah>. so. <laughs> He's got to be. <laughs> yeah. Federico, before we go on, can I tell you sure. about something that I like? Yeah, so this episode of Canvas is brought to you by Sanebox. Email can be a crushing thing, and I imagine that every person listening to this show has got something they don't like about the email they receive or the features that the email app you use has. Sanebox is here to help bridge all those gaps and solve all those problems. One of the things you cannot do with email is just delete everything. All of our email goes to the same place and all looks the same, and wouldn't it be nice to just clear it all out? But the thing is you can't. There's important stuff in there that you need to deal with, but it looks the same as all the junk. Wouldn't it be nice if your email could be pre-sorted before it even hits your inbox? And imagine that only the email that lands your inbox is the stuff you actually need to see. This is what Sanebox does. Sanebox sorts through your email and moves all the trivial stuff into a different folder so the only messages in your inbox are the ones you actually want to see. The great thing is that it works on top of your current setup with any app and all the Sanebox magic happens before you ever see your email. So aside from removing all the junk so you can focus on messages that matter, there's a great feature called the black hole. And what this is, is you just move the email into a folder and you never hear from that sender again. Kind of magic. You can set up email reminders so you can be reminded of a message to follow up on. You can snooze the email to deal with it later. Federico, I know you're mm-hmm. a big Sanebox user. Let us know how it's that works It's been for you. working so well. And uh, every time we, we, uh, we have Sanebox as a sponsor, I... 
I talk about them profusely with with uh, with affection because I really do love the service mm. uh, myself. And uh, I always mention how I've been uh, organizing my email in the traditional inbox and the same later and the same news folders and with everything else that you know it's kind of junky uh, or spammy goes into the same black hole. Um, but I also want to mention how another great feature is at the end of the week, uh, after all of the trainings that you've done, so Sainbox monitors uh, which messages from which senders you put into different folders. So, for example, uh, you can see what people you deem important, and the, whose messages you put back into the inbox, and which other messages you you know, you, you file into the same later and the same news folders. And at the end of each week, Samebox sends you an email digest and it tells you, well, here's what you've done. Here's all of the trainings that you've done and uh, sort of a, a nice summary of all the, uh, the the training that you've done to your email. And again, it doesn't matter which email client you use because, for example, there's most of the time these days I'm testing uh, Newton, this uh, email client for uh, almost any platform. Mm -hmm. But sometimes I open uh, Apple's mail app on iOS because I prefer the way that they deal with uh, VIPs and stuff like that. And sometimes I move messages there. And no matter the email client uh, that I use, the trainings are always consistent with Sainbox because it lives in the cloud and it follows me around everywhere. So I really love the service. And, you know, my email wouldn't be the same without Sainbox at this point. That's very cool. Very cool. So we know that Canvas listeners would love to have a little more email organization in their life. So we've got a great deal on Sainbox for you. Go to sainbox.com slash canvas today and you'll get an extra $20 credit on top of the two-week free trial. You don't have to enter your credit card information unless you decide to buy, so there's really nothing to lose. Check it out today and get your email finally under control. And again, that's sanebox, S-A-N-E-B-O-X dot com slash canvas. So Federico, let's talk numbers. Number three in the iWork. Yeah, there's some nice changes in this new version of numbers, and uh, and I want to briefly touch mm-hmm. upon them. Um, you can now edit rich text in cells. Now, this is something that I don't usually do, but I suppose if you have some formatting in your spreadsheets, uh, this is a uh, welcome news. But the the big change for me is the the new yeah. uh, the the combination of the new editing keyboard and the new quick panel for uh, you know shortcuts when you select a cell so in the in the keyboard there's a new set of suggestions in the quick type bar so now you get shortcuts to signs such as different than and greater than and stuff like that but more importantly uh, once you select a cell uh, there's a new uh, button in the bottom uh, right uh, if you have an external keyboard, otherwise it's just going to be in the top right corner of the software keyboard. Um, and you tap that and you get this popover with a bunch of options. There's shortcuts for uh, clipboard actions, so you can cut, paste, and stuff like that. There's also an autofill button to sort of select some cells and to let the numbers do the autofill itself. And also there are new shortcuts to quickly insert the current date and time and also to insert uh, some quick formulas. So numbers looks at the spreadsheet and it tells you, well, maybe here you want to do a sum or you want to do an average, for example, and now there's shortcuts for that. So this is a, you know, I actually do like the, the, the interface design of this popover. I think it's a great idea to you know, to bring forward more shortcuts to users. Mm-hmm. I think that new editing keyboard has got some of the DNA from Swift Playgrounds in there uh, because there's a special kind of keyboard in Swift Playgrounds as well. 
and it comes up with sort of customized suggestions as well that are not just based on what you've typed, but also in context what you might want to put in based on the code you've previously written. So uh, there's a few of those ideas I think have come over to numbers as well. The big change, at least for me, this is a, I'm really excited about this. Um, <laughs> numbers can now do now supports stock information, which I'm not excited about this actually, but if you track stocks, if you have some investments, you can actually now put them in numbers. The big f thing for me is now that numbers supports uh, currency conversions. So now there's a new mm -hmm. uh, currency formula to calculate the exchange rate between two currencies directly inside of a spreadsheet. But more importantly for me, numbers can now do historical currency conversions for any given date in the past. Uh, mm -hmm. it, it calculates the conversion rate f based on the historical exchange rate. Um, so this oh. information is available on the internet uh, on a bunch of different websites. And this used to, used to be one of the most time-consuming accounting activities that I used to do because uh, as being based in Italy but having a mostly English, English business, I, 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 ha I need to keep track of some amount of money in US dollars and others in, uh, in, in euros. And because the, you know, the business is an ongoing activity, I receive, for example, invoices for you know, uh, months in the past. And then mm -hmm. when I do my accounting, maybe I forgot one of those. So I need to go back and I need to convert the US dollars to euros for that spe specific day in the past. This used to be very time consuming because I used to go on one of these websites where you need to put in a date from any day in the past, then type in your amount, choose a currency, and then do the conversion. Well, now in numbers, using the currency H, which stands for history formula, you can calculate the conversion rate for a specific day in the past. And this allows you to put together, uh, for example, a, a more advanced formula where given the conversion rate, the historical conversion rate, you can calculate an amount in US dollars, for example, from three months ago to what used to be in euros for that specific day, which is very, very cool. And I'm I'm very happy about this. Um, of course, this stuff, the currency conversion stuff, requires an internet connection. Um, if you don't have an internet connection or if the day in the past is not available in Apple's database, you will get a red uh, excl exclamation point, which means there's an error yeah, and numbers cannot powerful. perform the currency conversion. But basically, with this change, I'm considering moving all of my accounting to numbers now uh, because instead of having to use separate services that do this conversion for me, now I can do them all in a spreadsheet and numbers honestly looks pretty nice to me. And I'm... Uh, I've been using some spreadsheets with iCloud and it, they've been working super fine on my end. No issues, no problems. I just wish it was possible. This is super nitpicky. I just wish it was possible for numbers to, instead of throwing, throwing up an error of saying, well, if this specific date is not available, if we cannot convert for like, uh, for example, January 1st, which is New Year's Day, if we cannot do that conversion, let's round that up to the nearest available day. Uh, so that'd be nice. And maybe there's a way to work around that using the workday formula. I don't know. Uh, anyway, this is super uh, This is super convenient. It's going to be an amazing change for me, and I'm really happy about this. <laughs> Very specific. Yeah, you, you're, that, you're the guy that was made for, I think. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's just so convenient. So, uh, so yeah, numbers uh, 3.1. 3 if, you, if you deal with multiple currencies, go check out the currency and currency H formula. Those are cool. super convenient. Uh, I wanted to tell you also, Federico, about Apple Classroom. 
2.0, which is not an app yes. we've really talked about very much in this show, but we've uh, certainly talked about it in my other show out of school quite a lot. Um, Apple Classroom is Apple's kind of teacher assistant app for the iPad. Uh, and what it lets you do is it lets you do some things that historically have not been possible in iOS, uh, such as for a teacher to view the screens of multiple iPads at once in the classroom. So you're sitting at your desk and you can flick on Apple Classroom and you can just see what's on the display of every iPad that's in the class that you're teaching at the moment. Um, and you can do some other things as well with it. But Apple Classroom 2.0 just came out. And the big, big change here alongside iOS 10.3 is that you no longer have to be basically in a school deployment in order to use this. Previously, you had to have a mobile device management server that supported uh, specific Apple education features and you had to be able to set it all up in such a way. Uh, and it wasn't that many schools that had all those things. And certainly, no, essentially nobody who wasn't a school had any of that stuff. Um, but now with, with Apple Classroom 2, basically anybody can download it from the App Store. Anybody can create what Apple calls an unmanaged class. That is a class that you set up between two devices without any infrastructure in place. Um, and then you can basically do the same kind of things that classroom teachers can do. So say you were um, leading a training session with colleagues at work, or you know, I, I'm thinking about using this with teachers at school as well. I can just walk in and I can say, hey, go into um, your settings application, go into the classroom section, find this class that I'm advertising, tap a button to join it, and then type in this four-digit code that is, is visible in my iPad. And that way there's a kind of handshaking between the two devices or between the teacher device and multiple student devices. And then um, you can just go ahead and start doing stuff. So you can do things like uh, obviously view and lock the screens. You can also mute the devices. Uh, which is quite handy for class, you know, when kids are, uh, they've got their keyboard clicks on or something, you can just hit a button and make them all go quiet. Um, but you can also do this very cool thing with AirDrop, which is that when you're running a class, uh, those classes are, are known to the rest of iOS. So anywhere you hit the share sheet and you're looking at AirDrop, the first thing that appears in AirDrop is the current class that you're teaching. And what you can do is you can hit that mm. button and whatever it is you're AirDropping, whether it's a Pages document, a Word document, a PDF, a photo, a URL, whatever, um, it, it gets sent simultaneously to all of the devices in that class. It's really cool. Oh, nice. Um, and if you make groups, subgroups in the class, those groups also appear. So you could say, you know, only send this to the reading group or only send it to the math group or whatever. Uh, and that's really cool as well. Uh, there's quite a lot of privacy controls on this as well, as you might expect when it's being put out into the wild for anybody to use. Um, and a couple of things are that uh, the clients, the, the users, the students, they can refuse to have their screens observed and they can refuse to have their iPads locked mm. as well. So when I say locked, I mean more than just it goes back to the lock screen, but it actually puts a padlock on the screen and, and the user can't do anything with that. Um, so those are um, those are some of the things that you can do. The, the ad hoc classes that you make are persistent. So once they've been set up, students will rejoin those classes when the teacher opens the app again. Uh, that can also be changed in settings, but by default, uh, students will automatically rejoin the class as soon as they come back into range of the teacher device. Um, and the nice thing about it as well is that all of this stuff is built in to iOS 10.3. So only the teacher device needs to install Classroom from the App Store. All the client-side stuff is built into iOS so there's nothing that anybody else needs to do. It's really, really cool. Hmm. So do you think that some enterprising users could actually use this stuff in a family Absolutely. setting? Like to 
sort of fake their way around the classroom app to manage their kids' yep, devices? Yep, absolutely. Uh, it, I wouldn't say it was incredibly strong security, but it's reasonably good security. Uh, and, and what you can do is, one of the nice features about it actually is that uh, the sells after, I think, 20 or 30 seconds. So this is the kind of thing that's, it's lightweight stuff. Nobody's going to get their iPad bricked because they played with Apple Classroom and forgot to unlock something. Uh, so it's it's really cool. I have a friend who teaches um, other teachers how to use iPad stuff, and he told me that on the day after Classroom came out, he was teaching down in London, and he went into a class of 45 teachers from a school, and he just, in the first five minutes of his session, he just set up the whole Apple Classroom with an ad hoc class, he invited 45 teachers onto his iPad. He was able to then send them documents, send them to web pages, uh, open different apps on their iPad, all of that kind of stuff. Uh, and, and it took him like five minutes to set up at the start of the session. He said it worked really, really oh, well. Yeah, That's amazing. Yeah. Uh, very reliable, very, nice. very powerful, um, and has a nice, I think is a very nice balance of security and privacy for the student uh, in this ad hoc situation. I know a lot of people in colleges and universities are very excited about this as well because in those situations a lot of people have ios devices but they're not managed their sort of own devices and they're owned by adults as well so it's not really appropriate to put the same kind of heavy restrictions on those devices as i do for you know five five to eighteen year olds um those kids are older the students are older maybe mature students and they own their devices so it's a wee bit lighter weight for them as well and then people are really really excited about it so let's quickly talk about this new iPad that Apple released. Yeah. Uh, it's a 9.7-inch iPad, and it's just called that. It's a, the fifth-generation iPad. Formally speaking, yeah, it's called the, the iPad fifth generation. Um, so it's kind of a continuation of an older line, if you like, in terms of naming. It's not an iPad Air in any sense. It's, it's the, the iPad fifth generation yeah. uh, is, is the terminology. And then people have been taking a look uh, inside uh, of this device. There's a uh, teardowns uh, going on on YouTube and other and other websites like uh, like uh, the historical, uh, you know, uh, I fix it. Uh, I fix it. Yeah. It's basically it's a it's a sort of a nod combination of an iPad Air two and an iPad Air one but with a better CPU. So it's uh, this iPad mm -hmm. has an A9 processor. The iPad Pro uh, actually uses the A9X, so it's a sort of a of a step down from the iPad Pro, uh, which in theory sort of makes it similar to an iPad Air 2, but the screen is not laminated like the iPad Air 2, and so there's a bit of an air gap between the, the glass and the screen, like the first-generation iPad Air. So... That said, uh, you know, aside from the from the glass and the display, um, it's a very it seems like from a hardware perspective a very solid iPad. It's got the A9 processor, uh, which you know, um, compared to the iPad Pro, the iPad Pro has doubled the graphics. Uh, but in terms of CPU, the iPad Pro and this new iPad are mostly comparable. Uh, it comes in yeah. two versions. Uh, 32 gigabytes and 128 gigabytes. And I think you made a point that uh, going with 32 gigs by default at a cheaper price, because this iPad uh, can be bought at $300, $329 for consumers, but $299 for education, to have this mm -hmm. price with a 32 gig iPad seems like a big deal. It, it is, and I think the two configurations, 32 and 128, I mean, they're good for people as well, but I think they're great for education because the two ways that you would use this device are 
either in a one-to-one situation like my school or using the shared iPad feature that came in with iOS 9.3, in which case looking at a 128 gig device is absolutely perfect because you could accommodate between four and six users on, on a device of that size. Um, so you can then split the cost of you know, uh, whatever it is, uh, I think it's um, 399 for the 128 gig model. You can split that over six or seven students and, and, and then you get a very low per student cost to deliver that system. So um, it, it's a big, big gap between that and the iPad Pro now. And it's not clear to me that schools are would be able to justify an extra $200 per unit mm. just to get the Pro features, you know, because in some ways this device is sort of defined by what it doesn't have right. rather than by what it does have. I mean, it's a perfectly competent 64-bit uh, modern iPad. I suspect the difference between the A9 and the A9X uh, processor is graphics rather than CPU, and some of the benchmarks do bear that out. And I think the importance of improved graphics from the Pro is really so that they can push enough pixels fast enough to keep up the illusion that the Apple Pencil is actually writing on the screen. Uh, and because the, the fifth-generation iPad doesn't support the Apple Pencil, maybe that graphics performance isn't quite so important in that situation. Um, cameras are comparable to the 12.9 Pro, right. so they're the previous generation cameras. Yeah. Eight megapixels on the front, one point uh, sorry, eight megapixels on the back, one point two on the front. Whereas the 9.7 Pro is twelve on the back and five on the front, so it's uh, significantly better cameras. Uh, as you said, it's got the non-laminated screen, so it's basically iPad Air class screen technology. Obviously, that implies no True Tone display either, no Smart Connector for keyboards. But of course, a Bluetooth keyboard still works, so that's okay. Um, and no Apple Pencil support. And for me, that's the only kind of slight twinge in the heart for education is that it doesn't work with the Apple Pencil. But I suspect that, like I said, that also implies a better processor, mm-hmm. implies mm-hmm. the laminated screen, it implies a number of other features. So um, that's pretty high end. But for me, one of the things that this device does is it allows a lot more schools to kind of come into the modern world of iPad features. Because a lot of schools are still rocking up 32 gig, uh, 32-bit iPads um, from the era of the iPad 2, iPad 3, fourth-generation iPad, um, where they're not getting features like um, they can't run Swift Playgrounds on a 32-bit device. Uh, you don't have support for split-screen uh, multitasking as well, um, some of the other features as well. So being on 64-bit hardware is now starting to become something that's quite important. You're missing out on quite a lot of features if you don't have a 64-bit device. So um, this iPad really looks like a big, big winner for education. And I know some other people have been kind of a bit disappointed with what Apple have announced, but spring is the education season at Apple now very much. And I can tell you that people in education are going nuts for this iPad. Um, It's it's going to be a huge hit in education, I think. Yeah, it seems seems to tick all of the boxes, really. It's cheaper. It yeah. comes with more, uh, with better storage options. It's got a reasonable CPU, even if it's not the iPad Pro. And more importantly, mm-hmm. uh, it'll support for sure iOS 11, iOS 12, you know, for the next few years. It'll be, a, you know, uh, it's not like Apple is now selling the iPad 2 again. So it's a modern iPad, much cheaper for, for education. Yeah. And, you know, it doesn't have the iPad Pro's feature or graphics, but I think, you know, based on what you describe, you know, Apple Classroom, Swift Playgrounds, uh, you know, the shared iPad stuff, all of this will be supported by this yep. device. So, Absolutely. I think I think it's a big winner. And it's, it's a much better set of trade-offs right. um, yes. than any yeah. other previous cheap iPad. You know, previously, if you wanted a cheap iPad, you had to take 16 gigs, you had to take multiple generations old CPU, all of those things 
Whereas this is this is very much a modern iPad. Okay, you're missing some of the Pro features, but everything else is very easy to live with, and I think it's I think it's going to be a big win for schools. So, shall we wrap it up there, Federico? I think one of the other things I, I think is quite interesting about this is that up until we talked about the iPad, none of all these software features do you have to actually pay a penny for. And that's something that people have to sort of factor in when you think about iPad as well. Is, I mean, look at all the stuff you're getting for free. You know, free when you've bought the iPad, of course, but still um, a much, much lower cost. So, uh, yeah, that's, uh, that's the show there. Do you think we can leave Yeah, it? and... Um I feel like the this update, you know, with the iPad with education is sort of setting up. Uh, I want to hope at least a big year for Apple and the iPad um, because it's mm-hmm. starting to to come together as a more complete package on all fronts. And Apple seems to have a much more clear message uh, coming into you know uh, WWDC especially. Uh, they have this new um, iPad Pro uh, campaign. It's going around in television, even in Italy. They have this mm-hmm. new iPad. The lineup uh, of the entire iPad uh, family is much simpler, much more uh, unified than it yeah. used to be, much yeah. more clear. Now you got the iPad Mini, you got the iPad, and you got two iPad Pros. So just for models. Yeah. Uh, and it seems like Apple is sort of cleaning house before you know iOS 11, which supposedly mm-hmm. you know a bunch of people are saying it's gonna be it's gonna it's gonna be the iPad update after Apple didn't really focus on that device. It had better be better yeah. be because it's been it's been a yeah. couple of years now. So I think they're setting up mm-hmm. for having a having a big year on the iPad. And you know with this fifth generation device, um, I think really for most people, even for most families, it's a it's a good iPad to buy and to give to one of your kids and just to use for you. If you you know if you don't need the iPad Pro, I think it's a fantastic entry mm-hmm. into into the iPad lineup. So. You know, good signs. Yeah. And you can see that from the marketing as well, is, is that it, it sort of references fun and yeah. enjoyment yeah. and entertainment as well. You know, the, the Pro is very much, it's business. Here's Microsoft Word. Here's you can console, do blah, documents. Blah, blah. Here, <laughs> here's an architect. Here's somebody doing email, um, which is great, right? I'm not, I'm not making fun of that because I think that was one of our criticisms of Apple marketing over the previous, the early time of the iPad Pro was, it was like, here's a guy doing Kabuki theater in a video, you know, and nobody does that, right? But, um, the Pro is very much computer-based um, tasks, whereas the, the iPad fifth generation is being marketed as a sort of entertainment device as well as yeah. doing serious yeah. work as well. So it's good to see that. And I think one of the things I like about the new line is that it looks very much like computers. You know, if you look at you've got the MacBook Air and then you've got the two sizes of MacBook Pro. And the iPad line now kind of looks more like a computer product line where it's just got, you know, the mass market, slightly lower end thing, and then it's got two versions of a Pro thing as well. And if you're going to try and sell the iPad Pro as a computer, let's let's organize the line like computers. And uh, I think they're doing a really good job of yeah. that as well. Yeah, we'll see. <laughs> we'll see. Fingers crossed. Eternal optimism on this show. So this has been Canvas32. Uh, you can find show notes for this show and all the previous ones at relay.fm slash canvas. Uh, thank you to our sponsor, Sanebox. Federico is online at Vitici. I am Fraser Spears on Twitter. The show is underscore Canvas FM. And we will see you all next time.